Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we will be discussing episodes six and seven of the story of Yanxi Palace or Yanxi Gonglue. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. For these podcast episodes, we will first do a drama episode recap and then discuss the culture and history portrayed in the episode. If you are new to the podcast, welcome! Do check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Chasing Dramas and also visit us on our website at ChasingDramas.com. We have just revamped our website, so do take a look at that as well. The Story of Minglan episode transcripts are fully uploaded for those that are interested in reading it. If you like what you hear or have any feedback, please let us know. For episodes 6 and 7, we are reminded that while there's plenty happening in the palace, Wei Yinglaw, our main character's primary motivation for being in the palace in the first place, is to discover the truth about her sister's death. She does make some headway after rather directly questioning Zhang Momo, who manages the seamstresses in the palace. It turns out that Yinglo's sister was uh, caught after one night having an amorous relationship with someone. Despite her saying she did it willingly, she was punished to 50 canings and expelled from the palace. Zhang Momo further explained that sadly, Yinglo's sister hung herself of shame, but was shocked to hear that Yinglo revealed someone actually murdered her sister. Yinglo then produces a jade pendant she retrieved from her sister's belongings. Zhang Momo reluctantly reveals this pendant belongs to Fu Cha Fu Hong. For now, she suspects that Fu Hong, the empress's younger brother, was the one to potentially rape her sister and cause her death. We next turn to the concubines in the palace and see firsthand just how little the soft-spoken Chunfei wants to see the emperor. It appears that every night, or at least often enough, she takes cold baths in order to make herself sick. And on the occasion that the emperor does visit, as we see in this episode, she tries all manner of things to push him out. This time, she raises her concerns about how disrespectful Gao Guifei is towards the Empress and wonders why the Emperor condones this behavior. Chunfei skillfully raises her concerns about the Emperor's predicament at court, which infuriates the Emperor. As we all know by now, in the palace, women are not to discuss or involve themselves in affairs at court. The emperor sternly reminded Chunfei of this rule before storming out. Chunfei exhales a sigh of relief, while the emperor also recognizes that this was just another ploy for Chunfei to alienate him. It's rather odd that she would do this because all of the women in the palace want the attention of the emperor, but not her. Though there are some clues already as to just what her true feelings are, which we will explain later. In any case, the emperor heads over to the empress's residence of Changchungong to let off some steam from what just happened. She tries to console him that Chunfei isn't purposefully behaving this way, even though we think she is, and changes the subject. The empress proposes that the various palaces in the palace start cost-cutting. 
She says that there's been too much lavish spending recently and will create wasteful behaviors if not reined in. She wants to lead by example, so she agreed to uh, cost-cut her own palace first. The emperor doesn't have much to say on this subject and agrees. These cost-cutting measures, or new frugal measures, I must say, will come in handy for Wei Yingluo later on. The big event for the seamstresses now are to create a phoenix robe for the empress for her birthday. Ying Luo has been given the role of lead for this project, which, as expected, causes many of the other seamstresses to pipe up in indignation. Chief among them is Ling Long, who must capture this opportunity to sabotage Ying Luo. Her method involves the valuable peacock thread that Ying Luo is supposed to use for creating this phoenix robe for the empress. As Ying Luo describes in the drama, this peacock thread uses peacock feathers as well as gold and silver thread mixed together to make a final product, and we'll talk about this later on. Ying Luo spends days creating this phoenix robe with the peacock thread and also alternated with the naive and simple-minded Ji Xiang to watch over the robe and thread as a way to make sure nothing happens to it. One day, though, Ying Luo finds that Ji Xiang has come to look for her after a fire somehow randomly broke out and immediately recognizes that something must be off. Indeed, after she, Ying Luo rushed back to their main workstation, the robe has been slashed into pieces and the valuable peacock thread has also been stolen. Someone took the opportunity while Ying Luo and Ji Xiang were away to do this. I mean, it's not hard to deduce who did it, but the ladies don't have time to think about the culprit for now. The Empress's birthday is just around the corner, and they have to create a robe or else the entire group of seamstresses will have to be sentenced for negligence. I mean, my question is, why didn't they realize this to begin with? The person who was the culprit really just must hate everybody in the department as well as herself because it means that if they are found out, she's also going to be sentenced. So, not really sure what's going on through this culprit's mind. It's refreshing because this is the first time I've heard a main character say, Why would you do this? This puts all of us in danger. Like, thank you. Finally, somebody voices this out in a Chinese drama. Under immense pressure to somehow save the seamstresses and the robe, Ying Luo finds an interesting substitute for the peacock thread and again spends sleepless nights making the final touch-ups for the recreated robe. It is the day of the Empress's birthday and all of the ladies are in their formal wear presenting their gifts to the Empress. Most of the concubines brought thoughtful gifts for her, but then, of course, Noble consort Gao, Gao Guifei appears, conspicuously late, I might add, and reveals her gift as a pure gold child-gifting guanyin statue, or a songzi guanyin. Immediately, the empress's face drops, as this is essentially a slap in the face to her. This statue is given as a prayer to wish someone have more children. The Empress is clearly still mourning the loss of her son, and therefore to have received this gift is, is still a touchy subject. 
Gao Guifei is clearly insulting the empress with this Guan Yin. And all of the women present could see how disrespectful this is to the empress. But unfortunately, the empress cannot do anything but accept this gift with a begrudging smile. And also, bad luck for Ying Luo. The empress is now in an extremely bad mood. Ying Luo is left waiting outside, preparing to present her robe as a gift, and then does purposely try to delay her presentation because she says she's waiting for something. Just as she cannot delay any further and is about to present her gift, the emperor's gift arrives, and Ying Luo breathes a sigh of relief. The emperor gifts the empress an intricately modified clock that now is actually a makeup box, but somehow accurately tells time. There's a little spot for the cuckoo to pop out to announce the time as well. Such an elaborate and thoughtful gift certainly brought a smile to the empress, but what was more satisfying is that Gao Guifei loudly then announces that she wasn't feeling well and haughtily leaves. It was so obvious that she was jealous um, of the empress for receiving such a grand gift that, um, you know, it's quite odd to see somebody in the imperial harem just do this outright. Usually people have a little bit more um, tact. Xiaoping also leaves to follow Gao Guifei. At long last, Ying Luo finally presents her robe to the empress. It's not lost on the crowd that the thread use is not the usual gold, silver, and peacock thread. But Ying Luo skillfully explains that the thread used was animal fur, and that was a way to reflect the empress's wishes to reduce the extravagance in the palace and remind everyone the hardships of their ancestors and what they underwent in order to establish the Qing dynasty. This does bring another smile to the empress's face, and she accepts Ying Luo's explanation. The embroidery department is given rewards for their, mm, her good work, much to the disappointment of at least one seamstress. Oh, we don't mention this, but Gao Guifei and Jia Pin are very surprised at seeing Ying Luo uh, behave normally at the Empress's palace during this episode. That night, Ying Luo, however, does not return immediately back to the embroidery department. Instead, she kneels in front of the Empress's palace and reveals her deception that day to both the Empress and Er Qing, her headmaid. Ying Luo explains that she had to use the fur thread because the peacock thread was stolen and had no choice. The empress said that she knows something must have been off but didn't want to expose Ying Luo in front of the crowd and for something unpleasant to happen that day. The empress then presses why Ying Luo kept on delaying her presentation as well. Ying Luo reveals that it was to leverage the emperor's gift, which she thought will cause the empress to be much happier, which then will mean the empress won't be as displeased with Ying Luo's gift. The empress, upon hearing this, does shout that this is too bold for a maid to use the emperor in such a way, and Ying Luo is adequately scared, but does find, for the empress at least, she thinks that Ying Luo is quite amusing. It takes bravery for Ying Luo to come up with such an excuse, and so the Empress is quite intrigued by this maid. 
As punishment, the Empress orders Yingluo to create another outfit for her. But then, because the Empress thought Yingluo was so interesting, orders Yingluo to be moved over to serve in her palace of Changchungong. So you could say that this is a mini promotion, or actually a big promotion, for Wei Yingluo. We do learn that Yingluo proactively revealed the truth to the Empress with the express hope that she will be moved over to Changchungong in order to get closer to Fu Hong to discover the truth about Yingluo's sister. The remainder of episode 7 revolves around finding the culprit for who actually stole the peacock thread. Like I said, it's not hard for us to deduce that Ling Long was the one to do it. Yet, sadly, before they have enough evidence to raise that she was indeed the thief, she somehow manages to trick the naive Ji Xiang on her birthday into grabbing a package in the department. Unfortunately, the package just so happened to be the peacock thread that was stolen, and the moment Ji Xiang picks up the package, she was caught by Zhang Momo and Wu Zongguan, the eunuch responsible for the imperial household department. Despite Zhang Momo's pleads that there must be a mistake, Wu Zongguan orders Ji Xiang to be beaten to death. I will say, if Ji Xiang was the main character, she probably would have been saved by a dashing imperial bodyguard or some divine intervention. Alas, she's just a minor character and bites the dust. I honestly was very surprised that they killed her off so quickly. I thought she'd stay for at least like half of the series and have a growth plot where she becomes a head seamstress or something. Good on the drama for showing us the real stakes of being in the palace. And also that somebody as naive and simple-minded as her does not survive long in the palace. Yingluo is devastated, but doesn't show it to the rest of the seamstresses. You know who does show her quote-unquote devastation? Linglong. She's over there crying her eyes out and saying all sorts of things like, Oh my god, I'm so sad she's died. I'm so bereft. Like, whatever. We know what you did. After this, Yingluo's work quality falls dramatically to the point where Zhang Wuma has no choice but to offer the next opportunity to make a robe for the emperor up to Linglong. Yingluo, of course, doesn't want to lose that to Linglong, and the two ladies agree on a little competition. The winner's robe will be sent to the emperor. One night, Yingluo tries to catch Linglong as the thief. Yingluo tries to get Linglong to confess her crimes, but Yingluo doesn't have enough evidence to pin it on her. I swear, does Linglong sleep at all? I mean, I feel like she's just stalking Yingluo every single night. It must be exhausting for both of them, honestly. Sure enough, the night before the deadline, Yingluo goes to sleep late, and Linglong walks out of their sleeping quarters to do some shady stuff. We don't see what she does, though. On the day of the bet, Yingluo wakes up late to see that her work product was switched. I do think that this entire thing, we'll find out in a bit, yes, was a plot, even the whole sleeping in late, because Linglong steals Yingluo's completed outfit and presents it as her own. To Yingluo's fury, the outfit was already brought over to the emperor. Linglong thought she could finally win this time, but unbeknownst to her, Yingluo had another trick up her sleeve. When the emperor put on the outfit, he cried out in pain. 
Everyone in the palace, including Fu Cha Fu Hong and Li Yu, who were speaking to the emperor, freaks out to see that there was a needle left in the fabric that pricked the emperor right on the neck. The emperor is furious, of course, for such carelessness. Back at the embroidery department, Wu Zongguan comes over and drags Linglong away. But she is crying out that the outfit was actually from Ying Luo. That doesn't matter because plenty of witnesses say that the outfit most definitely came from Linglong's hand, not Ying Luo's. Linglong earlier in the episode even swears an oath to heaven that she was the one who embroidered that robe. So, you know, what good is it now to say, oh my god, it's somebody else's. No one's going to believe her. She, Linglong, receives her just punishment. She is to be caned 80 times and exiled, never to return to Beijing. Ying Luo visits Linglong, who was sent to Shenxing Si to await her punishment. And that is where, finally, Linglong reveals all of the crimes that she did commit. Really, Ying Luo forced her to admit it. But regardless, by episode 7, you would say that pretty much all the loose ends within the embroidery department are wrapped up. The two mains uh, who were enemies of Ying Luo, Jing Xiu, and Linglong are... No longer, but Ying Luo's good friend Ji Xiang has also left us. That just means that we are now going to turn over to the next level for Ying Luo. Alrighty, now on to some history. The first poem that I want to discuss is Yu Meiren. This is the poem that the Emperor Qianlong brings up in his conversation with Chun Fei. The author of the poem is Ouyang Xiu. Born in 1007, he was a politician, calligrapher, and poet during the Northern Song Dynasty. He passed his imperial entrance exams in 1030, and that started his career as an official. He was a crucial member of court for three emperors. The poem, The Beauty, or Yu Meiren, is a ci, and its si is a type of lyric poetry. The whole poem goes like this. Lu xiang, zhou yong, long yan bai, feng dong, jin luan e, hua ping, han yan, xiao shan chuan, shui rong, chu qi, zhen heng yuan, zhui hua dian, lou gao, bu ji, yan xiao ban, wang jin, xiang si yan, my rough translation is this. In the long white days, the ambergis sent wafts from the incense burner. The wind gently moves the golden luan bird at the top of the curtains. The mountains on the art panel screens slowly gets darker. After waking from an afternoon nap, there's still some remnants of pillow imprints on her face. The Hua Dian has also fallen. The highest towers cannot reach the sky. No matter how far one looks, one cannot see. The spring sun mocks a melancholy person. The grass turns green. This scene only further adds to the yearning of one's beloved. 
The ci or poem is about a woman who is missing her beloved. She has nothing really to do during the day. Even during the sunny spring season, there's an air of sadness as she waits for her beloved to return. Back to the drama. The Emperor Qianlong says that the beauty plays with the fire and incense ash to write out her feelings. I didn't really get that from this poem. Perhaps the Emperor was trying to get a response from Chunfei to see if she was, you know, pining for someone? Him, perhaps? Unfortunately, Chunfei responds quite neutrally and was like, nope, I'm just wishing for harmony. I want a harmonious uh, imperial harem. I want a harmonious um, empire. And then after that, she successfully enrages the emperor into leaving. She is thinking of someone, but not him. Next up, let's talk about that peacock thread, which is the main plot point for these two episodes. Gold peacock thread is a lost art from China. In 1958, archaeologists unearthed a gold peacock-threaded dragon robe that was worn by Emperor Wanli of the Ming Dynasty, who lived from 1563 to 1620. There are photos of the gold-threaded dragon with peacock feathers. Even after 400 years, the needlework looks stunning. Apparently, some team tried to replicate the dragon robe. They gathered fallen peacock feathers and finally created a 300-meter thread to ultimately make a 17-meter rope. The whole process took a whopping five years. Now, what about that golden thread? How does that work? This is also incredibly difficult. First, the gold must be melted and then ground to a very fine consistency. Then the gold needed to essentially be melded into the silk thread. Now, I'm not a seamstress, so apologies if I totally just oversimplified the process, but it was very, very hard to get even gold thread. According to an early Qing Dynasty book called Yue Shi Bian, one single foot of a peacock-threaded fabric was worth 50 tails of silver. That's a lot of money. For comparison, one could comfortably buy a whole house in Beijing with 20 tails of silver. The fabric was extremely rare, which made it, of course, very valuable. In the book, Honglong Meng, or Dream of the Red Mansion, there is a clear reference to a Kongchue Chiu, or a peacock cloak. The cloak was threaded together with peacock feathers. The book was first published in the middle of the 18th century, so right around the time of this drama. Through the contemporary book, we can see that peacock thread was used for the aristocracy. The pyongjin fa is the type of embroidery that Wei Yingluo uses to begin her embroidery for the ceremonial robe. It is one of the traditional types of embroidery from China. It is a Suzhou silk hand embroidery art. The pyongjin fa uses gold thread to primarily embroider flowers and waves. Next, let's talk about the Songzi Guanyin a little bit more. Guanyin is a bodhisattva, apologies for my uh, pronunciation, associated with compassion. She is the East Asian equivalent of Avalokiteshvara from Buddhism. 
Song Zi Guan Yin is a manifestation of Guan Yin. Song Zi translates to child giving. She is primarily venerated as a fertility goddess. In Chinese culture, people prayed to her for hopes of having children. Usually portrayed in statues and paintings as a reclining white robed young woman with a child sitting on her lap, in the drama Noble Consort Gao gives a gold version of this Guan Yin and haughtily proclaims, Ooh, since you're the empress, here's a gold one. If we recall in the drama, everyone's face turns white because they see this gift as a slap in the face to the empress. She's been mourning the death of her son and has barely come out of her grief. And noble consort Gao has this gall to say, you know what? I feel like this is super appropriate for you because I'm still young and you are not. You should get along, you know, get going with getting a son. I feel like everybody wanted to slap her in the face. I know I did. Today, people still pray to Songzi Guanyin at different Buddhist temples in China. Now let's move on to discuss the gift the emperor gives to the empress. It wasn't a clock, but a makeup box. The eunuch Li Yu has a line that says it's not proper to gift these things during one's birthday. Hence, why the emperor ordered the clock office to change it to a makeup box. We briefly talked about clocks in empresses in the palace, so let me give a refresher. The first record of clocks in China actually date back to the Ming Dynasty in 1602. Clocks, purely Western, grew in popularity during the Qing Dynasty. The most famous collector of clocks was actually Emperor Qianlong, our current emperor. One of the clocks in his collection sold at auction for roughly seven million dollars in 2010. Now, why is this not a good gift? The Chinese were very superstitious and strove to avoid bad luck from pretty much every aspect of their lives. This included language, gifts, and customs. One of the big no-nos was to gift a clock. This is because of the homonym of the word for clock. Zhong equals clock, but Zhong also means to end, which could also mean the end of one's life. To gift a clock or song zhong sounds exactly like song zhong, which means to attend to a、uh, dying person or to pay respects at a funeral. That's a terrible homonym, which is why in China one never gifts a clock on one's birthday. I feel like this custom has relaxed somewhat, but in more traditional families, you bet that this is still adhered to. Oh, a hundred percent. I feel like if I gifted a clock to my grandma right now, she would be like, "What are you saying? What do you mean?" In the drama, the eunuch never outright says "Song Zhong" because that would have been a pretty disrespectful or essentially wishing her death kind of implication. All Li Yu says is, "It is not proper to gift these things." So yes, words are very important for this context. Speaking of the importance of words, I want to discuss fashi or the concept of swearing an oath. In the drama, 
Ling Long swears O's left, right, and center to gain the trust of the other women in the embroidery department and to throw them off her scent as the thief. This, of course, drastically backfires on her when she swears that she was the one who sewed the emperor's robes. In China, fa shi, or swearing an oath, is something that is taken very seriously. In dramas, you'll see characters swearing oaths of love or fealty. I feel like it's one of the self-induced punishments that are typically quite intense. It's not your usual, I swear on my mother's grave. Not to say that that's not a bad punishment, but let's have a comparison. Pay attention to what Ling Long swears when she swears the oath in front of Xi Xiang. She says, I swear on the heavens that if I lie, I will die a horrible death. Some other people go even further and say, I will be drawn and quartered or struck to death by lightning, a la in Chinese, Tian Da Lei Pi or Wu Lei Hong Ding. And some others include, I won't be reincarnated, which is a big deal because people do believe in reincarnation in China, or they did in Imperial China. The reason why Ji Xiang was so quick to believe Ling Long, apart from her naivete, is because no one just willy-nilly swears an oath. This is and was serious stuff. Sometimes people swore in front of their elders or in the family shrine to declare duty, fealty, or what other serious subject, or for military uh, prowess. Ling Long used this to her advantage, first against Ji Xiang and again towards the other seamstresses. She, Ling Long that is, swore that the emperor's robe was hers, and she made a pretty intense, um, like, swearing, like, by the heavens. So the others believed her. Notice how Wei Yingluo didn't swear. That was a big factor and can be a big factor in the others' decisions. Because if one is willing to go that far and swear an oath, that typically means that that person has much more conviction. Of course, in this instance, Wei Yingluo figured it out that Ling Long was lying, and she was basically a lying scoundrel, and used this oath against her. Typically, in dramas, if a character reneges on his or her oath, she gets punished in some way. Like, think karma. Ling Long got caught here, so maybe it was karma. Moral of this story, don't make oaths you can't keep. We rarely see a character um, in Chinese dramas just make this many lying oaths so this was fascinating to have like just a minor character do this because again swearing an oath in chinese culture and tradition is a big deal and that is it for today's episode like we mentioned ying luo's chapter at the embroidery department is coming to a close she has new evidence that she needs to investigate further and the best way to do that is at the Empress's Palace. The music you heard today is a modification of the hit piece from the drama Xue Luo Xia De Shengyin, played by yours truly. If you are looking for Chinese dramas to watch and are in the States, please do check out our sponsor, Jubao TV, which does have a number of Chinese dramas and movies for free on their platform. Online, you can reach 
them on Jumo or XUMO. On TV, they are available on Cox Contour and Xfinity. They also have just come to a recent agreement with Sling TV, so you are able to access Jubao on Sling TV as well. Thank you all so much for listening. We will catch you in the next episode. Thank you.